This program does not provide medical advice. We assume no liability for the information provided on MindForce Radio. Please consult your physician before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. If you need an honest strength coach who's the real deal, contact Bob at webstrengthcoach.com. From Mind Force Radio, this is Natural Strength Night with Maximum Bob. On Natural Strength Night, we don't talk about the other things Bob likes to talk about. Tonight, we only talk strength training. When I say strength training, I don't mean training like punk-ass goons in the muscle magazines who jacked up on juice, steroids, and PEDs. I mean natural strength, strength built on good food, heavy weights, and no shortcuts. If you want to learn about real natural strength, weight training the right way, the old school way, stick around. Bob and his friends just might teach you something. He's here, the host of Natural Strength Night, Maximum Bob Whalen. Tonight, our guest is one of the best strength and conditioning coaches in the world, if not the best, my friend Ken Manny. I've known Ken for over 20 years. He wrote a great chapter in Iron Nation, Steel City Tough. We'll be talking about that later. Ken has been a big help to me in my career with websites, books, you name it. When I started naturalstrength.com way back in 1999, Ken encouraged me more than anyone. I still remember him saying, if you build it, they will come. There is no one in the field that I appreciate more and respect more than Ken Manny. Ken is a 42-year coaching veteran, and he is now in his 22nd year as the head strength and conditioning coach at Michigan State University. If I read all of his awards and credentials, we would be here all day. His great bio could be a book, but just to name a few, he has a master's degree in exercise science from Ohio State University and also holds several certifications. In July 2014, he was inducted into the USA Collegiate Strength and Conditioning Coaches Hall of Fame. Ken is also a prolific writer. He has written hundreds of articles for Coach and Athletic Director, Championship Performance, NaturalStrength.com, and many others. Ken is an advisor for Athletic Strength and Power, Ultimate Strength and Conditioning, and more. He is also a consultant to several NFL teams. He has coached numerous All-Americans and many players who have gone on to have highly successful NFL careers. To describe Ken as a dynamic speaker is an understatement. I've never seen one better. If you ever get a chance to see him speak at a clinic, you got to go. He is super high energy, speaks from the heart, and he'll keep your mind glued to every word he says. His enthusiasm is contagious, and it's easy to see why his players love him. Ken, it's an honor to have you on the show, and welcome to Natural Strength Night. Hey, Bob, thanks so much for having me, and I do appreciate that, that intro uh, and the sentiments expressed within 
Uh, it's great to talk to you again. Uh, and really, I think we go back a little bit more than 20 years. I want to say it's it's darn closer to 30 years. And uh, going back to the old the old Hammer Clinics uh, in the Cincinnati area with Kim Wood and the gang and, and Dr. Leisner and Ted Lamberdinis, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I know I've certainly learned a lot from you and your, your site on natural strength. And uh, I've loved our conversations in the past and all the information I've gleaned from them. And it's just, hey, it's an honor for me to be on your show. And uh, God bless you, baby. Let's get let's roll with this thing. What do you got, what do you got for me? <laughs> Thanks a lot, Ken. I think it really has been closer to 30. You're right. But before we get started with training questions, please touch on how you grew up, Steel City Tough, and how you got God. started in weight training. Well, Bob, and, and, and as a, a piece I did for you uh, for Iron Nation a while back, uh, I kind of tried to put everything in perspective. And um, not that it's a story anybody really wants to hear, but it's out there if you'd like to hear it. And uh, I think everybody's got to go back and, and, and remember where they came from. And I certainly remember where I came from. And I came from a small town uh, on the Ohio River, uh, Steubenville, Ohio. sits right in the heart of the Ohio Valley. It borders with West Virginia, and uh, Pennsylvania is just a stone's throw away. I mean, our, our big if we, if we ever had a big weekend, it was driving to Pittsburgh, PA, either for a, a Pirates game, a Steelers game, or go to the zoo or whatever, or just go to Permanis and get like a big sub sandwich, man, a big Italian sub. But uh, that, that's only 40 miles uh, to the east of us. And, um, you know, and obviously it's a big – the whole thing about Steel City is that it's a – the steel industry, at least at that time, when I was younger, growing up, uh, was booming in that area. We had Wheeling Pittsburgh Steel. We had Weirton Steel. We had all the adjunct factories that fed into – with material into those mills. And um, we, 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 we once had a distinction, as a matter of fact – uh, with all the mill, mills in the area of being the dirtiest city in the United States of America because of all the pollution. <laughs> it would, you know, and we kind of hung our hats on it. We were proud of that. Hey, man, we live in the dirtiest city in America, man. And that's because, <laughs> uh, that's, but you know what? Because we just knew when those smokestacks were billowing, okay, when they were, when they were letting out the smoke, didn't matter how black that smoke was, and all the sulfur, you know, going up into the air and from the coke plants, et cetera, et cetera, we knew that was putting bread on the table, man. That was putting bread on the table for those families, and um, and we were proud of it. So, uh, but you know, you know, long story short, it's a hard hat. You talk about a true hard hat, cliche, lunch pail kind of city. Steubenville, Ohio, is definitely that. Now, obviously, it, it hit on hard times when the mills start closing down, and you know, a lot of the factories are. It's kind of sad. You drive by Wheeling Pittsburgh Steel anymore. And you see that along the river, and you just see that big empty parking lot, with just overgrown with uh, shrubs, and you know it's uh, and and all the uh, all the buildings, all the smokestacks are just rusted out, and a lot of the a lot of the places are gutted out, and uh, it's it's kind of like a ghost area right now. But at least as far as the mills are concerned, now the city has continued to go on and 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 certainly thrive as much as possible, but. Um, just like many small towns in, in, in PA, in, uh, in Western PA, in uh, Ohio, and Illinois, and uh, you know that, that had all the, uh, you know, in West Virginia, that had the steel mills um, as, as part of their culture, and certainly, um, you know, so so very important to their economy. A lot of that's been shut down now, and but that's where I grew up. I'm proud of it. Uh, I, there's no question 
that whatever it is I am today certainly you know goes back to those days, Bob. I think you told me before that you made a lot of your equipment too. Oh, you know, well, not necessarily I made the equipment, but going back to those steel mills, a lot of that stuff was covertly made in the steel mill now. I mean, it's not like we had, uh, you know, these nice uh, Alico barbell sets or anything now, okay, uh, or anything even close to it. So much of what we had, and we're talking about, just like you grew up, and I think that's why you and I hit it off so well, I grew up with a garage training basement slash cellar training mentality i'm talking about the single light bulb kind of swinging in the dark (laughs) and uh the paint chips falling on your face and uh and certainly when you turn that one light on in that weight room uh, you know you'd see a few cockroaches and mice and rats scatter uh (laughs) you know and then the equipment that was in those places be it a garage or or a, a basement cellar type situation um so much of that because we had now, we had guys that worked in the mill that liked to also train. And um, so, you know, and when, when they could, you know, under cover of night or whatever else, <laughs> make some stuff, they would make it. And I'm talking about plates now that, first of all, we never knew how much they weighed. I mean, they were just big round mounds of steel with a hole. And sometimes that hole was not <laughs> correctly centered. So you'd put these on these makeshift bars, and uh, so it was all over the place. And, uh, and if, if you were told something weighed 25, 35, 45, 50 pounds, well, you just took it for face value, but you never really knew how much it weighed, and you just kind of went by looks. And said, well, this one looks like it weighs about as much as that one, so let's put one of these on each side of the bar and see what happens, okay? All of our squat, I mean, I'm not, they were squat posts. They weren't squat racks. Now, they were the uprights. Uh, right. That were just um, you know just uh, stand standalone uh, uprights that well, some were just a tire rim right exactly most you know some were adjustable most were not because they were fixed and uh, so regardless of your height you had to find a way to get up under them if you wanted to do any squats and then certainly get right. the, getting the bars and plates up there was was a was a chore in itself all of our pulley systems you know homemade baby I mean it was just like bolted into the wall, and uh, whatever cable and, and pulley system we could come up with, where they could come up with, and whatever bar attachments with, uh, you know, the hooks that we had, eye hooks or um, whatever we had, uh, S-hooks uh, that we could attach to them. And uh, so many of those cables, I remember snapping in, mid, in mid-sets, and uh, that's okay, we'll just hook up another one. And uh, so that's what we did, some makeshift dumbbells, uh, and that's pretty much how I grew up. I bought my first actual set of real weights. And I, listen to this. You probably remember these. Sear, the old Sears and Roebuck used to carry them. The old Ted Williams plastic deals, okay? <laughs> that's right. With the sand in them. Yeah. You remember those? Right. Okay. So yeah. when I, I, saved up, uh, I saved up whatever quarters and pennies I could for my allowance and uh, got up enough money to buy a set of those. And I thought, man, I thought those were like, I uh, mean, that... I thought you were elite if you had a set of those over the makeshift uh, stuff bought in the mills. But, um, and then it, it kind of just went from there. But uh, just guys training. Some guys competed. You know, there, was a, there were a lot of local powerlift meets in our area. And I mean, nothing much on the – this is amateur powerlifting. And, uh, and, and I'm going to tell you now, there were some big, strong guys competing in these things. Not that I did. But I used to be around them, and because uh, I, I I couldn't even hold, and they were so much older than me, 
but I couldn't. There's no way I could. But they taught me a lot, even though I couldn't hold my own with them. And at least they taught me what they knew. Now, get, now, now understand, these were not pristine training conditions, okay? I mean, in between sets, guys would go sit down and light up a cigarette. You know, sometimes <laughs> in between sets, you know, guys would go sit down and, and pop open a can of beer. I mean, so, you know, this is, not, uh, this is not the kind of training environment that most people are used to now here. But uh, uh, believe it or not, there was a lot of good hard work that got done, and I learned a lot. And if nothing else, I learned to develop a love for training in, in these situations. And, uh, but that, that's kind of, you know, where it all started. Now, how old am I when this is all going on? I'm barely um, – I might be, you know, ten years old, you know, if that. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm not in high school yet. I'm still, you know, still a grade school kid, uh, you know, trying to learn the ropes. Had my first foray into football, and you know, I remember the first time I put on pads and just hitting somebody. Just loved the feeling of it. And then, um, and then one time in an old in an old sports magazine, I can't remember what the name of it was, down in a little confectionery uh, called Brody's down on the corner of where I lived. Um, so I used to read all the, you know, the NFL stuff, stories about the guys. And I came across a story one time of a gentleman by the name of Bill Brown, not Jim Brown, Bill Brown. Bill was a fullback and, and a little known, little herald, you know, just a ham and egger type of guy. Uh, you know, it probably wasn't, uh, even at that time, a great football player, but he was a fullback with the Minnesota Vikings. And, uh, reading the article, he was one of the only guys, or at least the first guy that I read about that talked about lifting weights. Okay. He's, he actually lifted weights to help him get stronger. Now we're talking about, we're going back to the sixties now here. Okay. Early to mid sixties, right? Cause you're, you're a little yeah. bit older than me. So probably, yeah. uh, what early sixties. I, I would think, you know, probably no, no, no deeper than the mid sixties because I know, and again, I'm not, I'm not really quite sure. My memory's kind of fading now in terms of that, of when Bill played for the Vikings. But uh, if someone would just Google him and find out when he played, it was sometime in that era. And um, Yeah. When we grew up, I mean, we were discouraged from lifting weights. I mean, even your coaches, oh, yeah. most of them, were against lifting weights. Oh, yeah. My high school coaches, it was like, you know, we ran, 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 ran. You know, did a lot of uphill running and agility work and all that kind of stuff. But... Um, you know, not until probably my junior year in high school did I ever have any coach, and one coach in particular who came in that made like one section of the locker room and brought in some of these, again, you know, makeshift kind of weights, a lot of them, and just, uh, you know, had us do a little bit like a circuit kind of thing uh, a couple of days a week, but uh, no. And even in college, uh, Bob, even in college at the University of Akron, I mean, we had an old universal machine. Uh, that we did a circuit on, but the guys that really loved it, you know, they brought some stuff up in, in, in the old Bookdale Fieldhouse at Akron U, and we set up our own little weight room, and we we did some, you know, late-night training there, but it was just the guys that really went. We were never made to do it. It was just something that we did. But uh, but anyway, going back to Bill's article, you know, I, that inspired me in terms of, you know, okay, here's a guy in the NFL that does it, and back at that time, I had aspirations of being a fullback, okay? Now, being small and slow are not a good combination, which I was. And um, uh, so, you know, I figured, well, maybe this will help me. So it inspired me. And so I kind of started, you know, uh, you know, getting more into it from that point on. And, uh, and really, you know, honest to God, ever since, I've never really stopped training. 
You know, I think I was telling you I'm coming off a double hernia surgery uh, just a little bit over a week ago, and so I have not picked up a weight in like two straight weeks. As a matter of fact, it's a week tomorrow or two weeks tomorrow that I had my surgery, and I'm not allowed to pick up any weights till going into the third week here, and I got to start off with some light dumbbell work. So I'm following doctor's orders. This is the longest, by far, longest period of time I have gone without picking up some kind of resistance training uh, since since that time, since going back wow. to that time. Do you know how frustrated I am? I just want to punch <laughs> these brick walls behind me right now, okay? I'm just, you know, so frustrated, you know, but uh, but I'm going to start getting back into a graduate. But I'm following doctor's orders because I don't want a repeat of, this, of the situation, and and I want to come back strong at it. But, um, hey, I told my oh, wife, okay. I said, uh, I told my wife, you know, and I tell her this all the time, I said, I don't know when I'm going to die, honey, but I promise you this, I'm going to get a workout in early that day, okay? So uh, <laughs> just be prepared for that. You know, I got a lift in on my wedding day. You know, uh, my best man and I uh, went to the, uh, the the high school gym back at that. Of course, we're going back to the 80s now. And, uh, you know, we got some guys go out and they go party and they go on these booze these uh, bus booze cruises before the day they get married. We lifted. We trained the day of our wedding. <laughs> and um, my best man and I. So um, that's, I mean, it's, I just love it. I have a passion for it. Um, there's no question in my mind. We were talking, you know, the other day, you and I, about, you know, age. And I'll be 64 here in July. And um, obviously my numbers aren't what they used to be in some of the things I do. But uh, I still go pretty damn hard, I think, you know, for an older guy and. uh I th- I, there's no question in my mind. And talking to Dr. Westcott, I had Dr. Westcott speak at our clinic here over the weekend, and um, you know he's in his late 60s too. And if there's anything, the the, only, the closest thing we got to a fountain of youth, Bob, is diet. Okay, diet. Take care of your diet and do the right things there the best you can, and train. Keep training. That's right. And 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 don't That's make right. it just aerobic training. You know, like some people want to tell you. We know that strength training is so crucial and important right. um, uh, as, as, a, as a piece to the puzzle. And, uh, and of course, anybody that's listening to your show, I know trains, and I encourage all you guys out there, keep training. You might have to modify right. it. You might have to find alternatives. That's okay, but keep training. Never get away from it. That's right. I think strength training is even more important than cardio. I, I advocate both, but I think it's... I think uh, strength training is number one. You know, eat good and strength train and also do cardio. But uh, I think it's totally flipped around from what they used to say 20 years ago. um, uh, Strength training is an enabler. You know, as you get older, it enables you to do the cardio, you know, because you're keeping your joints and muscles there. They're not going to deteriorate. A lot of older people who don't strength train become unable to do their cardio because of all their joint troubles and everything else. Absolutely. I got one word okay. for you, brother. I got one word yep. for you, sarcopenia. Okay, you know what sarcopenia is, don't you? It's a wasting away of muscle tissue as we get older. And if you just yeah. go dormant in terms of resistance training, okay, you've heard of, uh, everybody's heard of osteoporosis and osteopenia, which is, you know, uh, loss of bone muscle, you know, bone material, bone tissue over time. Uh, yep. But what people don't know as much about is that loss of muscle tissue uh, it degrades very rapidly when you get away from resistance training. And therefore, just as you said, Bob, if you don't keep up with your strength training, you may not be able to even do cardio anymore because you cannot support your own body weight. 
Uh, you may That's not right. even get, be able to get on a stationary bike anymore and do the kind of work you want to do. So for, you know, uh, for, for carrying your own body, whether you're walking, jogging, using elliptical, whatever you're doing, um, so very, very important. Hey, Ken, could you please touch on a few of your game-changer principles that coaches can use to improve their own programs? Yeah, you know, and there's five of them that I always harp on, and um, not that they're, you know, a panacea or the end-all, be-all, but for coaches especially. Uh, number one, uh, what are your bottom-line goals? You've got to keep your bottom-line goals and objectives in the forefront when you're designing uh, your strength and conditioning protocols, you know, for your kids. Um, what is most effective for your kids? What is most challenging, demanding, productive? And here's the one, especially for high school coaches, time efficient. You have to introduce and maintain time-efficient strength and conditioning uh, protocols for your kids on a year-round basis. Uh, so you may be talking to people and going to clinics and whatnot, uh, and listening to power lifters, listen to Olympic lifters, listen to anybody that trains in any way, shape, or form. But, okay, what can you actually take back to your kids and put in place? I mean, you have to make those decisions. Everything that that's out there uh, may not – It's just in the clinic that we had over the weekend, the thing I stressed, we had a lot of different people get up. We had Dave Lawson from Tennessee. Okay, we had uh, Jay Hooten from Northwestern. I'm always trying to get a Big Ten guy in here if we can. Uh, we had Justice Gallick from the, um, uh, you know, the New York Jets come in. We had Dr. Westcott. Uh, we had Jimmy Cobasso, who's a, norm, who's a, uh, uh, a, a fitness instructor and owns, owns a, uh, a training center here in Wixom, Michigan. And all of them had different views, different uh, protocols, a little bit different way of addressing things. Dr. Westcott did a great job of putting thing into perspective for people. But what, now, what, what I, my bottom line here for them was you got to take back to your kids what's best for them and best for your situation. Uh, so the take-home point with that was um, just like there are a myriad offensive and defensive strategies and philosophies in sports, strength and conditioning coaches must examine, dissect, and determine which approaches best fit their needs. And they can, you know, if you've got 50 kids right. in the weight room, you better be able to, you know, um, be able to have something that's going to fit what they need. Number two, you've got to understand to some degree the process of muscle fiber recruitment. And, um, you know, if you're a sociology teacher or a geography teacher and you haven't had a lot of this training, um, sometimes that's hard to understand or even know the meaning of, but unless you have kind of a rudimentary uh, uh, understanding of it, it's going to be difficult for you to understand what strength training is really doing uh, within the bodies of the kids that you're training. Um, there's different force capabilities that, you know, our different fibers have, and we can talk about, you know, fast twitch and slow twitch until we're blue in the face, but... There is a size principle in motor unit recruitment. I talk, we talk about it all the time with everybody that we're training so they know why we're training the way we train. And then what happens initially, I don't care how fast you're lifting the weight, whatever your rep duration is, basically your slow-twitch muscle fibers are recruited first because they're the easiest, easiest from a threshold standpoint to come into play. And then as you go through the set, and these, uh, these slow-twitch uh, fibers, which don't have, you know, great force capabilities, uh, kind of die out. The fast-twitch ones come in. The more force that's required, and certainly um, 
the, the further you go into sets, and then you're really, you know, it's really towards the end of a set, and that's why hard work is so very, very important, that if you really want to get at these, these uh, fast glycolytic fibers, you've got to train with some degree of intensity, some degree of effort has got to be involved in it. And effort to me is the work put forth in the set. And uh, right. we'll talk more about that, I'm sure, as we go. So understanding that, and, and, and so many people don't understand that, well, we want to train fast twitch. I mean, I've, I've heard about all these fast twitch centers. I even talked to a guy from a so-called fast twitch center not too long ago, and I said, what do, you, what do you exactly mean by a fast twitch center? What do you guys do at your center? He goes, oh, well, we, uh, we uh, preferentially work the fast twitch muscle fibers, and as a matter of fact, we change slow twitch fibers into fast twitch fibers. And I just kind of paused for a second or two, and I said, really? I said, wow, that's a monumental achievement you're doing there. Would you mind explaining to me exactly how you're doing that? Because nothing I've ever read in exercise physiology has ever indicated or dictated that any of that was even possible, okay? And so I kind of caught him off guard there, and I, I could tell he was a younger guy just by his voice, and so I didn't want to push the issue too hard with him and take him to task too much. But um, uh, I told him, I said, if you ever want to really discuss this, in, uh, and I'm, I'm sure your listeners don't want to, your listeners I'm sure are well-versed in this, but I said, if you really want to actually talk about your, what you're professing out there, and also knowing that the scientific method is going to, someone's going to eventually going to take you to task and make you produce the burden of proof on both of those issues you brought up. I said, you better know what you're talking about, but we'll move on from that. And, um, and then really going into you know, uh, recovery. And my, the third issue is, you know, you need to know that the, these kids need some recovery time. And it's not just a matter of, bombarding them with work and then not knowing that they're going to need to recover from this work. And um, we, we spend a lot of time, basically our philosophy here is when we train, we're going to train. Okay, we're going to train hard. We don't have things like, you know, medium days, light days, in-between days. I mean, um, <laughs> you know, and when I ask people about that, and I say, why do you even do that? Well, uh, we have to make sure we're interjecting some recovery. And my response to that is I got a great method of recovery give them a day off every now and then i mean right. our, our our approach to recovery is not to insert a light day our approach to recovery is give them a complete day off from training somewhere so we make sure that we intersperse that and i don't have all the you know high-end gps technology that's going to give me all this data on when and how we should do this and certainly we're going to go to that and just to see what that data can uh, provide to us. But um, we make sure that we insert uh, you know, days off. And I tell our kids, when we give you a day off, it is a true day off. You know, go through some of the recovery and rejuvenation methods that we have in place. So we have whirlpools for them. We have people that come in and give them, you know, uh, massages. And we have yoga available to them. Little things like that that they can get some uh, additional stretching and uh, some other quote-unquote functional type stuff. But, you know, there's no hard training involved. And, but I tell them now, when you come back for your next training day, come back ready to train. And, um, you know, that, that's so crucial, and I don't think a lot of people really understand that. And then the whole thing, right. let's, let's talk about that, because another issue is what about the functional training thing? And this goes into the game-changer thing, because uh, I'm often asked about my thoughts on what about functional training? 
And and I, I just I, I come right back with an enthusiastic, hey, I'm all for it. I'm all for functional training. But here's what function means to me, okay? And it goes back to a lot of, um, you know, in the, if you go back to the engineering world, and I remember, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, in, in, in the old uh, initial hammer days, what was what, what was right. their mantra back in, in the uh, the initial hammer strength days? Function dictates design. Okay, now you right. can take that axiom and you can apply it to anything. Okay, so I always you go by there and it becomes clear on how we at Michigan State define functional training. So here's my outlook on functional training. Okay, is any type of training that you're able to compete with great physical strength and power. Okay, I want to be able for our kids, when they hit the field, the court, whatever it is, to compete in their chosen field, their chosen position, chosen sport, with great physical strength and power. Okay? Now, to accomplish right. this over a long period of time, okay, I want them to be able to do this without, without falling prey to fatigue. To me, that's functional. So there's obviously that conditioning opponent, component as well. Okay, I want them to be able to uh, perform their required position-specific skills, okay, with great force, great speed, and great power. Now, how do, now our, our philosophy, and I don't even like that term, I like standard over philosophy, and I talk more about standards than philosophy. For them to be able to compete great force, great speed, and great power, they've got to take what we've done with them, whether it's in the weight room or on the field, in very general terms, and then take it to those specific skills of their position and sport. Uh, the only true position-specific or skill-specific training in my mind is are the actual skills of the position and sport. So they've got to be done exactly. Specificity to me is not similar. Specificity to me is exactness. So the exactness has to, and motor skill uh, learning, motor, motor skill uh, uh, data, motor skill books, research will, will, will post you up on that and say, if you're going to use the term specific, you better be talking about exactness. So that's how we look at it, and that's how we train our kids. And I want them to be able to perform at a high rate and level of precision for the entire game, the entire length of the season, with a lower susceptibility, hopefully, and incidence to serious injury. So that's what functional training, if, if we're doing things that keeps all those things in mind, then in fact, we are training from in a functional way uh, with functional training. Okay, so that's, that's another key point with me. And then um, we, we take it into next, um, and really finally with me, um, uh, staying true to all those principles and make sure that they're always a year-round part of your program. I think Dan Riley did a great job of that uh, when, he, when he was coaching. We'll be back with more right after this. This segment brought to you by VitalNutritionStore.com. Did you know that more than 7 million Americans suffer from coronary heart disease, the most common form of heart disease? Regardless of your age or condition, adding Cardio for Life to your daily regime will dramatically improve your cardiovascular condition. Cardio for Life has been the top-selling Enlargenine product in the marketplace now for more than three years. It is also the top-selling product at vitalnutritionstore.com. 
Formulated by Dr. Harry Elward, the best-selling author of Let's Stop the Number One Killer of Americans Today, Dr. Harry believes together we can prevent and reverse heart disease. Cardio for Life comes in three wonderful flavors, orange, peach, and grape, and is gluten-free, sugar-free, and sodium-free. Please see our complete line of natural products at vitalnutritionstore.com. That's V-I-T-A-L nutritionstore.com. Randy Roach shocked the world with the release of his first volume of Muscle Smoke and Mirrors several years ago. It was a masterpiece of over 500 pages with such in-depth research and detail that it was not only surprising, but shocking and mind-blowing. It was truly one of the best Iron Game history books ever written. He followed that with Volume 2, another epic book with over 700 pages of equal depth and detail. All serious Iron Game fans need to have these books. Please visit Randy's website at randyroach.ca. That's R-A-N-D-Y-R-O-A-C-H dot C-A. Listen to how Iron Game legend and the Iron Master editor, Osmo Kihaw, describes the book Supernatural Strength. Have you ever wondered how much real-world experience authors have when they write books about weight training? Who is that person behind the computer? What do they really know about the Iron Game? If you picked up this book, Supernatural Strength, you have definitely come to the right place. The author, Bob Whalen, has spent several decades in the Iron Game trenches training himself, competing and coaching in powerlifting, earning academic credentials too numerous to mention, and thousands of hours of training and instructing athletes and trainees of all levels at his Washington, D.C. gym since 1990. He's not only devoted his life to motivating and pushing people to heights they have never been to, but elevating the trainees understanding why certain methods work better than others. Bob is one of the most respected and revered trainers in the business today. This book is sure to surprise and amaze you at the same time. Order now at SupernaturalStrength.com. That's SupernaturalStrength.com. Don't you think it would be so much easier getting into shape if you had a personal coach? Just like all the celebrities do. Well, now you can. Bob Whalen of WebStrengthCoach.com wants to get you out of your rut and coach you to success. He's dedicated to helping you achieve your strength and fitness goals through your hard work and his expert guidance. Bob will help you with strength training, muscle building, fitness, nutrition, and motivation. He'll make sure you achieve your maximum physical potential. You can get one-on-one training with Bob through his website webstrengthcoach.com he will develop a personalized program tailored to your individual needs a program right for you bob will give you feedback after every workout this is old school fitness and nutrition no fads and no gimmicks bob will use proven natural techniques to make sure you are satisfied so visit webstrengthcoach.com today and let bob help you reach your best self webstrengthcoach.com Do you enjoy history without social engineering? Reading about our founding fathers? Economics from a capitalist perspective? Wisdom from modern patriots? Welcome to UncleSamBooks.com, where virtues like rugged individualism, hard work, and the American dream dominate. UncleSamBooks.com. Great books for homeschooling. UncleSamBooks.com. If you want to become as strong and muscular as possible with health in mind and without lowering yourself to using steroids, the best advice can be found in the classic strongman books of long ago. These are the best books ever written on the subjects of strength training, weightlifting, strongman training, 
Iron Game history and old-time physical culture. Many of them can still be found at physicalculturebooks.com. There you will find good, honest, time-tested wisdom from the great old-time strongmen to maximize your natural muscular and strength potential. Please visit physicalculturebooks.com. Listen to Ken Manny, head strength and conditioning coach at Michigan State University, describe the book Iron Nation, a masterpiece text on some of the most intriguing and compelling personal stories, Iron Game history, and gut-wrenching training routines ever put to paper. If you truly love hard training without all the frills of pomp and circumstance so common today, you will love Iron Nation. Written by lifters for lifters. If you love weight training, you will love Iron Nation. Order now at ironnation.com. That's I R O N nation.com. If you would like to promote your business on MindForce Radio, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know if you are interested in a 30 or 60 second voice commercial or a banner website ad. Please contact Bob using the contact information provided on mindforceradio.com. You're listening to Natural Strength Night on Mind Force Radio. You know, he talked about why does your in-season program differ all that much from your off-season program? Uh, it should be run almost parallel. Maybe you're going to reduce the volume a little bit, certainly reduce the frequency, but many of those same goals have to be in mind because during the in-season, that's when they're going to need all of these uh, capabilities uh, and uh, abilities to their highest level. So make sure that you're doing many of the same things in-season that you did in the off-season to prepare them that, because anymore we're talking about long in-season periods. I know for our kids right. now, if we make the playoffs, we're going all the way into January. So in-season for us is all the way from August to early January. That's a long season. It's 12 regular season games. It's going to be a conference championship game. And then hopefully you get to play two more games uh, in the postseason which leads to the championship. So really, we're looking at almost now a NFL-type season, very, very similar to that. So uh, you've got to keep your, str- your kids strong and as healthy as you can for that entire period. So game changers, yeah, if, if you're doing that, and if you've got basically the same guys playing at, in, in December and January that you had playing in August, September, and October, and they are playing at the same level they played with, uh, during those times, then then you truly have a a, a functional, uh, productive, and successful program. So that's what I'm looking for, kind of in a nutshell. Hey Ken, please describe your off-season conditioning programs. Yeah, and once again, that goes to you know we're doing things that uh, we want done during the season, and basically it goes something like this, Bob. We have a very structured, sound, and um, I think very, very uh, comprehensive strength training program. So 
we do a lot of different things in the weight room. We use a lot of different equipment. Uh, I, I never get pigeonholed as being a free weight guy, a machine guy. I am a strength training guy. Okay, if Same you can me. show me, if you can show me that it can be done in a progressive manner, if you can show me that it um, uh, that it has worth, that it has value, that I can use it across a broad spectrum of individuals and athletes, I'm going to take a good, close, hard look at it. So when you come to our weight room, yeah, you're going to see racks, you're going to see half racks, you're going to see full racks, you're going to see everything that you see, uh, probably in a weight room that. Uh, is either solely or mostly uh, free weight oriented uh, with all the bars, dumbbells, plates, et cetera, et cetera. You're also going to see a plethora of machines in here. I mean, we have, let me see, I, I got sometimes stop and think about it. We got four, eight, 12. We have 12 leg presses, you know, four different, um, excuse me, three different uh, varieties of leg presses, four units of each giving us 12 wow. leg presses. One of them, uh, we got the, uh, the, uh, the, power, uh, the Power Squat Pro, which is a unilateral. It can be bilateral or unilateral in, uh, in design. We have, a, we have four hip presses. These are the uh, pendulum pieces. We also have four pendulum Power Squat Pros, or the, uh, the actual uh, pendulum squats, the machine squats. So that you add another four onto that, so that gives me 16 uh, 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 Devices we can use, modalities we can use, other than free weight front or back squatting. We have four pit sharks, which I love. Those are the belt wow. squats. So, I mean, we machine. have all of that that we use in conjunction with conventional lunges, you know, front squats, back squats, conventional uh, hex bar or straight bar deadlifting. And we use them all, brother. We use them all. Uh, along with you know, all the bench work, um, I've got a variety of upper body machines, be they hammer, uh, some of the old Avenger pieces, which I really like. Uh, and, and I know, the, you know that's kind of gone, gone uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of gone defunct in a sense. But uh, I've got four Avenger leg I love the Avenger leg presses. I mean, remember those old bad boys? I mean, I got four. I had to, yep. go, I had to go to get the fourth one. I had three. And to get to the fourth one, I had to go down to the University of Toledo, where they were. They had one up for sale, and uh, kind of steal one from them, and refurbish it. But um, so, I, and, and but I've got all the uh, I've got all the uh, pressing and pulling movements by hammer. Some of them are pendulum pieces. Some of them are Avenger pieces. And we've got four full lines of pressing and pulling movements in there, with also some. Uh, some uh, some single joint movements, and there are there are at least anywhere from six to eight movements, both uh, uh, alternating uh, pressing and pulling movements at different angles, different planes in each one of those rows. And I've got all the TRX bands and straps. I mean, we and plus a wealth of cardio in here. So uh, we have six woodway treadmills. We've got six each of uh, steppers, ellipticals, spinner bikes. So we have a, you know, it's it's really a well-designed, and it screams of variety, alternatives, okay, so that you're not pigeonholed and, and handcuffing yours. I never want to handcuff myself to any one specific kind of equipment and then find out that well, certain, in certain situations you can't use that. But that's our weight room kind of like uh, kind of broad-scoped, uh, if I would paint a, a, a broad picture of it. 
But, you know, so right now, we're in, so you're talking about fourth quarter program. Right now, we're in a situation where we're in this weight room three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, doing basically total body lifts, but emphasizing one area over the other. Okay, so one day, might, Monday might be, let's say, and, we, and we, we rotate this now, Monday might be a total body workout, but let's say there's a, a, a lower body emphasis on it. So that might be a heavy squat and or leg press and or deadlift and or lunge, and we kind of rotate those movements in there uh, with some good solid uh, hamstring work uh, with, with a variety of, you know, whether they be machines, whether they be uh, glute hand pieces, uh, Nordic, uh, manual, nor, manual Nordic hamstrings, which I'm sure your listeners are, are which I love the manual Nordics. Um, mm-hmm. And I've, I've written a couple things on that. Um, and then as well as we might do uh, some bench work and some other uh, press pull, quote-unquote, functional work with TRX straps or bands, whatever. And then, But anyway, that's kind of an overview. Uh, Wednesday would be a completely different workout, and Friday would be different from the previous two. Tuesdays and Thursdays now, those are our actual, you want to call them run day slash agility. But we kind of mix some things in there. So... Uh, this morning, for instance, and we go at 5.30 a.m., so there's a little bit of a toughness factor in there, uh, you know, just a mental, you know, it's hard to do this. It's hard to get up and get some living right. You know, obviously you're not going to be trolling the bars at night if you've got to get up at, uh, you know, 5 a.m. the next day and go face a grueling run workout. So, And there's a leadership right. component in there as well. But So that's all well, uh, well uh, inputted in there. But uh Today is our, our, our speed mechanics slash mobility day. So after we do our warm-up, we do some stretching, we do some leg swings and uh, other just kind of uh, warm-up dynamic work uh, to get them loose, get, them, get, get, get the blood shunted to the working muscles. We break down into do, two distinct stations. Um, so our skill guys and, uh, and more skillful big skill guys will go to one area, Power, which is our, you know, our bigger guys, uh, you know, OD linemen, et cetera, will go to another area. And let's say the skill guys are working first off on just sprint and running mechanics. So we break down everything from the ankle up in terms of body posturing. And it's not – conditioning is not the main focus of this workout. It is running mechanics, speed mechanics, how you should look and how your body should work through the biomechanical – activity of running and sprinting so we break it down for them and with a variety of drills that go for about 15 or 20 minutes while simultaneously the big guys are down the other end of the field working on drills that that focus on hip mobility uh stability uh, they do a little bit of flat surface plyometric work there uh nothing from heights or anything like that it's just you know kind of some kind of bounding type work uh, getting them, you know, learning and also balance type work for those big guys, getting them to work with their big bodies in space uh, and getting some kinesthetic awareness, which is so hard for big guys to do. So we, we get a little bit of change of direction in there with that. Uh, but not much, though, because most of it is, is uh, straight ahead geared. And then what we'll do after 15 or 20 minutes of each group working in each one of those areas, we'll flip them. So both groups get a taste of both areas. Uh, so, so then we go for another 15 or 20 minutes uh, uh, in those areas. And then we'll, do, we'll, then we'll come back and we'll do some, uh, after a little bit of a water break, we'll do some kind of uh, tempo-type running 
Like today we did tempo runs uh, where we start at the goal line in three lines, skills one line, big skill guys are another line, power guys are in the third line. Three-point stance, they'll come out, what I call a fast drive to the, uh, the first 20-yard mark. At that first 20 mark, I want, uh, want them to put a foot down, drive off, and give me a faster stride, not quite sprint, but a faster stride incorporating all of the techniques that we just learned in the station so there's carryover through the near 40. Once they hit that near 40, they can throttle down to what I call a fast stride, so it's not a jog, it's a fast stride, until they hit that opposite 40 mark, okay, and then they put a foot down and burst. They burst now about 7-8 speed through the final 20-yard mark and then into the end zone. And we did eight of those today. So, you know, it's uh, kind of a tempo wow. thing back and forth. And um, then we took a short water break, and then we go to um, ABCs. And ABCs are simply they go with their coaches for another 20 minutes and work on, again, what did we talk about earlier? Skill specificity. So they're working on footwork in their individual position groups, individual position groups, Obviously, there's no balls out now. This time of year, we can't have any balls. We can't have any, um, um, you know, uh, you know, group or teamwork. That's that's not permitted. So it's all just individual positions, just working on the footwork, uh, and in the, and whatever skill work we're permitted to get through uh, through compliance at this time of year for another 20 minutes, and then that's pretty much the workout. And then on Thursday, Thursday is a completely different workout. It is an agility-oriented workout. Uh, so everything in that, it's basically eight different stations of various movements, and all of them are pretty much general in nature. But long story short, short, they basically involve sticking a foot in the ground, opening up with some visual cues, not just lining up a bunch of cones and say, run to this cone, stick a foot in the ground, then run to this cone. There's some of that, but there's more of the visual cue stuff to where it's on visual cue and or verbal cue. Because so much of what's done on the football field is directed by what you see and what you hear, okay? And it's not. And these are called open skills. Not knowing what's coming until you see it or hear it. So you got to be running full speed, and all of a sudden, boom! You get a visual cue where you basically got to stick a foot in the ground and change direction, and then get another one to go in another direction. So basically, without going through each drill, the drills are uh, you know geared towards that. And then we'll still do our ABCs at the end of that rotation, um, you know, for a good solid day of work. So it's more of an agility. And uh, I, I try to find ways of, of including some power movements in there. By, and how do I do that? We got prowler sleds. We got the woodshed sleds, those big wooden sleds that a lot of people have now, which I love. Uh, we might have, a, you know, some kind of med ball toss thing where they got a, you know, maybe from uh, um, all sixes, you know, pick up and shoot a med ball forward and lay out, and then, boom, get, get immediately to your feet, sprint to a designated uh, a cone, get a hand touch on that cone, and sprint back to the starting position. So we do find ways of, of introducing some implements in that, and we do some rope pulls and battling ropes in there on occasion as well because I do like that. Pop. And sometimes, you know, quite frankly, there's a station, Bob, where we, where we got the um, – the hammers, man, you know, the, the rounded off, uh, we're sledgehammering tires, man. We are just pounding wow. those hammers, you know, for 20 straight seconds as hard as you can, 
All right? And then after the last two, we might say drop your hammer, sprint to this line, get a foot touch and come back, uh, just incorporate a little change of direction in there. So just putting them through movements that they're not normally accustomed to and, uh, you know, making it fun for them and, and, and also competitive for them as well. So, and then a lot of those things translate really basically into the winter pro, excuse me, the summer program, and we call the summer program the bottom line program. And all that means is this. Mm-hmm. The bottom line is this. Are you doing it or are you getting it done? Because uh, there's going to come a time where you're going to have to answer for the work that you did in the summertime. It's basically a seven- or eight-week program, basically the same format that I just described, only it's done out in the heat, um, right. the heat of the day. Uh, you know, when we try to go between 1 and 3 o'clock to simulate when we play most of our games, and the lifting is pretty much going back to the Dan Riley concept is we're, you know, um, our, 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 uh, our lifting uh, uh, sessions pretty much mirror what we did in the winter. And then it, with exception of frequency uh, and sometimes duration, uh, once we get into the season, you know, that, there's a mirror there as well. So basically that's it. I mean, of course, there's a lot of little, you know, details that are, that are going overlooked here because, you know, that would take uh, probably a five-hour session to describe them, but that's what we do. Right. How we do it, we coach it up, and we coach with a passion, and we we expect our kids to train with a passion. That's demanded. We have very high standards. There are consequences because it's not a standard. Unless you have consequences for not upholding the standards, don't call it a standard. Call it just some uh, you know something you wrote up and put on the wall. Uh, that you can you can throw mud at unless guys are being held accountable for them. So we do have very high standards in terms of completing the mission. What are some of the things you do to enforce the standards? You know what I do? I let them determine them. I let the leaders on this team determine them. Okay, so I, they know what the standards are, and if we have an individual that does not uphold the standards, I turn it over to the leadership on the team. Okay, so-and-so did not uphold the standards. Okay, what do you guys feel about mm-hmm. it? Because there's so much talk, Bob, about building leaders, and there's so much talk about this generation is not a good, this millennial generation. How many times have you heard that stuff? Do you hear that almost every time? These millennials, these millennials, they're not inspired, they're not motivated, they can't communicate, they can't do this, they don't want to do this. Well, you know what? I, for one, am taking, if they are in fact like that, now, first of all, I don't think they're all like that, okay, number one. No. Okay, I think there are, I do think there are some, some driven people, some very enthusiastic people, some young people that want to get better, strive to get better, looking for ways to better themselves and better their team every single day. So I don't completely buy into the notion that this is a lazy generation that's unmotivated, uninspired, uh, lacks leaders, et cetera, et cetera. Because I don't buy into that at all. But for the ones that are, you know, I look back, you know, are we maybe to blame for this a little bit? Because I'll tell you what, to develop leaders, I mean, don't you have to put them in leadership situations? And, I, and maybe we haven't done as good a job as we can as their so-called mentors in doing this. So we make sure here at Michigan State that we put our kids, give them responsibility, give them some leadership duties, put them, give them some ownership and see if they can do it. And I'm going to get back to this. Remind me to come back to the Spartan Challenge, and then I will go more into depth on what that exactly is and how that is more than anything a leadership uh, developing activity. But, 
you've got to put them in charge sometimes and let's see what they can do. Now, granted, you run the risk of them totally screwing it up, but you always, you know, you always hold in reserve the fact that you can pull the reins and then go, no, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? That's not really what right. I mean. So then you've got to mentor them in terms of what you really mean. But uh, in this age of specialization, where's everybody running off to now? Quarterbacks are all running off to what? Quarterback gurus. Linebackers are all running off to where in the offseason or, or summers. Now I'm talking primarily at the high school level. You know, gurus for, and I'm not saying that's bad because I'll tell you what's happening. With all the guru slash specialization training, and all those of you out there in the, in the, that are listening to this may run some of these clinics, and I'm not, believe me, I'm not denigrating you. Uh, there's certainly a lot of good that can be done with that because I'll tell you what, from a skill standpoint, they come back. And, you know, you can tell they've honed their skills, and they've learned, you know, if they're good, if these are good places to go to, run by qualified personnel, they come back uh, having improved their skill level. But the problem is it takes them away from their team and the team chemistry that you want to develop, because they, they're not going to be playing ball with those guys that they're off at these, you know, specialization camps. they got to come back and play ball with the guys back here on the home base. Okay, so mm-hmm. sometimes getting them away from the fold, so to speak, and the pack, they're not honing in those leadership skills they need to be honing in. And it doesn't happen so much at our level, but it certainly happens at the high school level. So if you're a high school coach out there listening to this, you've got to understand that you've got to get, while they may be, in fact, developing their, their own personal one-on-one skills, what about the leadership skills you want them to, to display for your team? That's got to be worked on. Okay, so basically we have a lot of guys that are getting better at their own skills, but as a whole, the team's not really getting that much better because this is, in fact, at least in football, you know, and, and in my estimation, the greatest team game going. There's none better. There's certainly none better. And uh, it is a teamwork situation. This is shoulder-to-shoulder, warrior-to-warrior. I mean, you guys got to get it done together, and you got to communicate. you got to communicate. And – Let's talk about that communication aspect here just for one second. So many of these kids cannot communicate or don't want to communicate because of all these devices they have now, you know, all the stuff that they got now that doesn't require much verbal communication. And therefore, we wonder why can't our kids communicate? Well, I'm going to tell you what now. You better put them in situations where they need to communicate. They have to communicate. So you've got to, you know, let them take the reins every once in a while and do that. Don't wait till game day. Don't train them in the whole offseason with you as the coach dictating every single thing that they do, being the master of everything, okay? And then just, yeah, they're, they're running through the workouts like crazed dogs, like scalded dogs, and they might be getting the job done. Okay, but you're not giving them any, you know, letting them uh, nurture any communication skills, be it in the weight room or on the field. So now here's game day, and where are all you coaches? You're on the sideline, and all, all 11 of your guys or whatever, or five of your guys on a basketball court are out there, and they're all looking around going, okay, who's going to run the show here? Well, Coach ain't here. What do we do now? And they all have that deer in the head. What do we – because during your training period, you never put the onus – you've got to put the onus on them now. We, in every lift, at the end of every lift – we may dictate the, the main body of the lift, obviously, but in every single lift, 
we have what is called the one more rep session. And the one more rep session, it's not literally one more rep. It's what we call it. And what we want them to think of in their mind is, while everybody else we're playing is now leaving the weight room, they've got their you know, call. They all came in for their call, whatever it was, and they've left for the weight room. We're staying and doing one more rep or one more period, whatever you want to call it. And it's basically four to five minutes of hard work. Okay, And I'll call for a volunteer, or I'll pick out a guy that needs to develop some of this leadership uh, ability and capability that's quite a little bit behind the curve, or sometimes I'll just you know, turn it over to a guy that I know is a nose-to-the-grindstone, hard-on-fire leader. And I'll say, you got it, brother. And, 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 I'll, and I'll catch him off guard. So right now, so right now they've got to develop a strategy. There might be 10, 15, 20 guys in the room. He's got to look around, and I'll say, and sometimes I'll, I'll say, you can only use this equipment. Or I might say, you got access to anything in the weight room. Ready? Go. And then they gotta, they got to come up with something. they got to demo it. Okay? They gotta, they, they've got they've to, first of all, describe it. I'm sorry. Describe what they want done. They've got to demonstrate it. And here comes the big one. You hold everybody accountable for getting it done the way that you want it done. If you want perfect reps, okay, if you want them to count the reps out, okay, if you're going to partner up, and uh, the partner's got to be, you know, counting and uh, giving cadence, whatever, whatever the case may be. Whatever you say they got to do, you make sure they're doing it. And we as coaches will now step back and we will observe, okay? That's the one, and that's done every single day. We end, we end like that. And you can't, you'd be shocked at how those final four to five minutes of a training session can develop leadership. Every Friday, I'll get to the Spartan Challenger real quick. And then we can move on because I know you got some other questions. Ken, you are an interviewer's dream. I mean, with you, you're unbelievable. I just, I just asked the question and you just go. Yeah, well, I want to give everybody their money's worth, though, so to speak. <laughs> We've almost been an hour already. Okay, okay. So Spartan Challenge every Friday at the end of the workout, we save. We make sure we sa- we save about 15 minutes at the end of every Friday session. Uh, Friday's lift session. I'm talking about to where they can come up with a competition, a competitive nature. Right, out, right in our indoor facility, and uh, they can use any implements they want. Uh, and we have a variety of, you know, we do the tire flip. This is, think of like all the strongman type competition things that people do, kind of rolled up into like a, a competition uh, for a group of 20 to 30 kids, maybe four to five guys in a team, whatever. They've got to devise the teams, devise the competition, okay, describe it, demo it, and um, and then hold everybody. Now the losers only only one team can win. So there's got to be a winner. And if there's a winner, there's got to obviously be losers. But they we can make them devise the whole thing, and they got to of course bring it to us a day ahead of time so that we can okay it. Just so I know they didn't come up with some crazy YouTube you know ding dong uh, exercise here that's going to be a total disaster. Right. So we approve it, but they they do it. And I'll tell you what, you want to see some leadership come forth, watch them devise that, and they have a lot of fun with it. They get a lot of hard work out of it. And in the meantime, unbeknownst to them, we're developing team leadership and team chemistry. Ken, who are some of the people who helped mold your strength training career and philosophy? Oh, gosh, there's no question. Going back, um, first of all, as a high school coach, you know, I spent the first 10 years of my career uh, Bob, as a high school coach, and I would never, I would never trade any of those days for anything. I mean, those are 
Um, you know, so I know, I know in this day and age, you almost have to go straight from the, uh, from your undergrad to graduate school and, and go get that master's and get off and running, or it's hard to get in this, at this level or beyond. But, uh, I did the other route. I started high school first and I'm, I'm glad I did. Uh, I have a true love for high school coaches for the work they do. But anyway, as a high school coach, uh, we used to go to the Penn State Clinic all the time. And that's where I first met Dan Riley uh, uh, when he was the head strength and conditioning coach at Penn State. And he just, you know, op- just open arms, and, you know, embraces you and, and just wants to give you every bit of knowledge that he has. And, um, you know, of course, he was only there for my first couple of years uh, going there. And, and then Chet Furman took over and I certainly learned a lot from Chet. But Dan was really the, the one that uh, – that's when I first realized, man – you can do this strength and conditioning uh, job uh, full time, you know, you know, at the collegiate level, and um, you know, at that time, it certainly was a burgeoning kind of field, and uh, they were certainly out there. You know, obviously Boyd was at Nebraska, and, and he's obviously the godfather of all this. Uh, but you know, Dan Riley was was my first really intro to it, to collegiate strength and conditioning, and taught me so very, very, very much about the field. And uh, guess who the first guy was to take me through a, a set of manual resistance work? Matt Millen. Now, this is, this is back when Matt Millen was a player for Penn State. And I remember uh, wow. um, it was on my – yeah, now listen to this. So, you know, Penn State's holding their clinic, and, I'm, and uh, you know, uh, I, I want to go talk to Dan because I'm running the, the program at the high school I'm at. And Dan goes, what do you know about manual resistance? I said, not much. And I said, well, would you like one of my guys to take you through it? And he met one of his players. I said, sure. We'll be back with more right after this. This segment brought to you by VitalNutritionStore.com. Did you know that more than 7 million Americans suffer from coronary heart disease, the most common form of heart disease? Regardless of your age or condition, adding Cardio for Life to your daily regime will dramatically improve your cardiovascular condition. Cardio for Life has been the top-selling Enlargenine product in the marketplace now for more than three years. It is also the top-selling product at vitalnutritionstore.com. Formulated by Dr. Harry Elwart, the best-selling author of Let's Stop the Number One Killer of Americans Today, Dr. Harry believes together we can prevent and reverse heart disease. Cardio for Life comes in three wonderful flavors, orange, peach, and grape, and is gluten-free, sugar-free, and sodium-free. Please see our complete line of natural products at vitalnutritionstore.com. That's V-I-T-A-L nutritionstore.com. Randy Roach shocked the world with the release of his first volume of Muscle Smoke and Mirrors several years ago. It was a masterpiece of over 500 pages with such in-depth research and detail that it was not only surprising, but shocking and mind-blowing. It was truly one of the best Iron Game history books ever written. He followed that with Volume 2, another epic book with over 700 pages of equal depth and detail. All serious Iron Game fans need to have these books. Please visit Randy's website at randyroach.ca. That's R-A-N-D-Y-R-O-A-C-H dot C-A. Listen to how Iron Game legend and the Iron Master editor, Osmo Kihaw, describes the book Supernatural Strength. Have you ever wondered how much real-world experience authors have when they write books about weight training? Who is that person behind the computer? What do they really know about the Iron Game? 
If you picked up this book, Supernatural Strength, you have definitely come to the right place. The author, Bob Whalen, has spent several decades in the Iron Game trenches training himself, competing and coaching in powerlifting, earning academic credentials too numerous to mention, and thousands of hours of training and instructing athletes and trainees of all levels at his Washington, D.C. gym since 1990. He's not only devoted his life to motivating and pushing people to heights they have never been to, but elevating the trainees understanding why certain methods work better than others. Bob is one of the most respected and revered trainers in the business today. This book is sure to surprise and amaze you at the same time. Order now at SupernaturalStrength.com. That's SupernaturalStrength.com. Don't you think it would be so much easier getting into shape if you had a personal coach? Just like all the celebrities do. Well, now you can. Bob Whalen of WebStrengthCoach.com wants to get you out of your rut and coach you to success. He's dedicated to helping you achieve your strength and fitness goals through your hard work and his expert guidance. Bob will help you with strength training, muscle building, fitness, nutrition, and motivation. He'll make sure you achieve your maximum physical potential. You can get one-on-one training with Bob through his website webstrengthcoach.com he will develop a personalized program tailored to your individual needs a program right for you bob will give you feedback after every workout this is old school fitness and nutrition no fads and no gimmicks bob will use proven natural techniques to make sure you are satisfied so visit webstrengthcoach.com today and let bob help you reach your best self webstrengthcoach.com Do you enjoy history without social engineering? Reading about our founding fathers? Economics from a capitalist perspective? Wisdom from modern patriots? Welcome to UncleSamBooks.com, where virtues like rugged individualism, hard work, and the American dream dominate. UncleSamBooks.com. Great books for homeschooling. UncleSamBooks.com. If you want to become as strong and muscular as possible with health in mind and without lowering yourself to using steroids, the best advice can be found in the classic strongman books of long ago. These are the best books ever written on the subjects of strength training, weightlifting, strongman training, iron game history, and old-time physical culture. Many of them can still be found at physicalculturebooks.com. There you will find good, Honest, time-tested wisdom from the great old-time strongmen to maximize your natural muscular and strength potential. Please visit physicalculturebooks.com. Listen to Ken Manny, head strength and conditioning coach at Michigan State University, describe the book Iron Nation. A masterpiece text on some of the most intriguing and compelling personal stories, iron game history, and gut-wrenching training routines ever put to paper. If you truly love hard training without all the frills of pomp and circumstance so common today, you will love Iron Nation. Written by lifters for lifters. If you love weight training, you will love Iron Nation. Order now at ironnation.com. That's I-R-O-N nation.com. If you would like to promote your business on MindForce Radio, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know if you are interested in a 30- or 60-second voice commercial or a banner website ad. Please contact Bob using the contact information provided on MindForceRadio.com. You're listening to Natural Strength Night on MindForce Radio.
He goes, uh, first of all, he goes, here's when I knew I was in trouble, Bob. He goes, you don't have any medical conditions, do you? I said, well, I don't think so. He goes, high blood pressure, heart condition, anything. I said, well, you know, now I'm getting kind of concerned. I said, no, I don't. I don't think I do. He goes, well, good. That's good. So he gets Matt Millen. You know, I could, ju- I could just see Matt Millen chomping at the bit to take me through some manual resistance. But long- <laughs> Once again, so Matt Millen takes me through a manual resistance program. And I'm not going to go into any details here, but I'm going to just tell you what. I mean, I, I, at the end of it, I had to find the nearest trash can, okay, and, uh, and start chucking up, chucking up the lunch that I had uh, just probably an hour or so before that. And um, it, was, it was brutal. And, uh, but I tell you what, it was done to wow. perfection. And whenever I see, now, of course, Matt now is, you know, went on to the Lions, obviously, as GM, and now is back in, uh, in broadcasting. And every once in a while, we have one of our games. And we, we joke, he still remembers that session. All these years later, but uh, and we and we joke about it and laugh about it, but uh, uh, but obviously Dan and Kim Wood, no question about Kim Wood uh, uh, as as one of my you know all time all time great mentors in so many different ways, not just you know training related, but profession related and life related, as was Dan. And then when I got to know Mike Gittleson, uh the former uh, strength coach, um, longtime strength coach at the University of Michigan. And to this day, you know, I'm close friends with all of these guys. And, and to this day, I still call these guys, you know, a close mentors of mine. And then last but not least, you know, Dr. Leisner, uh, who I met at a, a hammer clinic, gosh, at the University of Cincinnati, I mean, way back when. I mean, I don't even know, remember, it had to be, had to be in the 80s. 80s. And, uh, wow. and once again, a great mentor, a great friend. Um, so, when, you know, when I look back, you know, these are the guys, you know, these are the first guys, and certainly there's been many since then. But, you know, you, know, you, you know, you're you certainly thrown in there, too. But, you know, these are, the, you know, all of you guys I learned from every day. And the oh, great thing God. about it, it was, more, it was more than just a profession, more than just training. It was about life, family, and so many things that are more important than training, really. So, you know, uh, God bless all yeah. of you guys. Hold you dear to my heart. And, um but that's, you know, basically, those are basically the guys. Yeah, those same guys helped me a lot, too. And yeah, Dan Riley, I went to visit him several times when he was with the Redskins because I was in Washington, D.C. He taught me a lot of things. So Kim Wood also, and I think Dr. Ken also. And I got to throw another guy in there, Ted Lambertinis. I mean, Ted, uh, oh, you know, we yeah, went to grad yeah, yeah. school together. Ted, too. I love yeah. Him. I mean, anything, anything yeah. science-related, I mean, if you want to know what's going on and, and, and be able to separate true science from pseudoscience, you go to Ted. Right. And he's unbiased. He'll give you the skinny on things. And another go-to guy is obviously, and I mentioned this earlier, uh, Dr. We- I mean, Ted, Ted's been MC in our clinic uh, for a few years now, and, uh, and Wayne Westcott's another guy. When you want the research-based stuff and you, and you want to really know um, what, is, what are some things you can really hold on to in, in terms of data, I mean, those are two guys that you definitely have to contact and go to to get um, the true picture of things. What does high-intensity training mean to you? You know, because now the, there seems to be a lot of definitions. How do you describe it? You know, it's uh, it's probably been a, a topic of contention and certainly controversy as long as I can remember. And I know, and if you're going to go to the truest form of it, okay, and certainly if you want to talk about, you know, Arthur Jones, who I, I never had the privilege of meeting, uh, and, of course, guys like Jim Flanagan who worked and there's another guy there who uh, who I've learned a lot of too. Uh, need to throw his name in there. 
but the true, uh, um, you know, grassroots um, start uh, of the term, you know, was basically, you know, doing, uh, picking so many movements, whether it was eight movements, 12 movements, 15 movements, whatever, and or exercises, doing one really hard, productive set, two momentary muscular fatigue, maybe throwing a couple of extra four reps in there, and then moving on with short restoration uh, or whatever was needed to the next to the next movement. And I think, you know, most people, I would dare say, you know, I can't speak for everybody, when they hear that term, high-intensity training, that, that's what comes to mind. I mean, I think most people would agree to that. Uh, but it's not with me. I'm always speaking for myself now. Okay, it's not only that. Uh, but you know, and, and sometimes I like to kind of use as an interchangeable term hard training or high tension training. Yeah, and just basically hard work. I don't, you know, I don't believe that it necessarily has to be one set. I don't necessarily uh, believe that every single set needs to be taken to momentary muscular fatigue. Certainly, the more sets you're going to do, I would caution you not to take every set to because mo- that is a very intense, although very productive, certainly very demanding from a metabolic standpoint, and you will need more recovery time. If every right. single set you perform, you take to true volitional fatigue. Okay, Now, it, it, believe me, it's very productive. There's no question about it. Um, uh, you'll find that not everybody either wants to train like that, though, or, you know, is willing to train like that, okay? Uh, so you have to do it. You, you do have to find some alternative methods and get them to train hard. So while I'm a very much believer and certainly have, you know, back, you know, back when I was doing that garage training and cellar training I was talking about, we were doing our own version of so-called high We had no idea what we were doing. But we knew this, though. If you pick something up, you didn't put it down again until you squeezed everything you could out of it. Now, we didn't know what they right. to call that. We just called it training hard, man. We're training hard, okay? Right. And we had, guys, we had guys bottom out a lot of times doing squats, I mean barbell squats. I mean bottom out to the floor, literally throwing if they could, stepping away from the bar if they could, and letting the bar, right. you, know, you know, fall down their back and hopefully not clip anything on the way down other than the floor. Right. Uh, right, and the that, same you know, thing. You just got to hopefully yeah, dump it backwards yeah. and not not make the mistake of having it drive your head into the floor. <laughs> yeah, so you know that was not real smart. So I would not advise anybody doing that. Uh, of course, doing deadlifts to volitional fatigue that was, I mean, that was very common. But bottom line is, you know, not even knowing what we were doing, we, we were doing, you know, our own kind of uh, uh, archaic, uh, you know, Neanderthal version of you know high intensity training. But uh, right. there's different ways. Now, you can train hard and very hard and very productive and not necessarily do that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that you need to do a great number of sets. Uh, how many sets is that? I don't think that anyone has really determined. And if they have, I mean, I would love to hear about it because I consider myself to still be learning in this profession. How many sets are, are truly optimal for each and every individual? I don't know. Is it one? Is it two? Mm-hmm. Is it three, four, or five? I don't know. Um, I really don't know. And how many, total sets, how, how many total sets need to be done in a workout? I really don't know. Um, I, 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 
I, I, if you're doing more than about in the mid twenties of total sets, and I kind of like to do maybe in that lower part of that, and sometimes even lower than that when we talk about in season work, um, I, you know, I, I really wonder like, are you are you hitting the point of no return, and are are you truly doing enough work within the, your work sets, your quote unquote work sets, to be getting anything out of them? I mean, how many sets do you really need to do? So. It's probably individually based. Uh, a lot is determined on what time of year it is and what other stresses you're p- certainly putting on the body. If all you do is lift weights, if that is all you do, you don't participate in the sport. You can probably do more sets and probably be higher intensity type sets than the guy that's got to go, you know, do a running session sometime, maybe during that same day or the next day, a hard running session, and or is practicing with, you know, full football gear on, you know, four days a week, and also trying to get in two, you know, uh, valuable, productive, you know, lift sessions in. So, uh, so many things come into factor there, you know, so it's not just one size fits all. But I do know this, and whether you use that term or not, going back to the the initial question, okay, train hard, man. Okay, train hard. Most of what you do, I mean, you got to come off it and go, man, that was that was a that was a good effort. That was my best effort. And um, regardless if you go into true volitional fatigue or close to volitional fatigue, and I certainly don't recommend that on certain exercises. I do not recommend it on obviously any kind of squat movement, like uh, whether it's front squat, back squat. Uh, you got to be careful with lunges and so forth. Things where you can get in a predicament where nobody can help you. Nobody can step in and save you from yourself. Okay, so you got you got to be very right. and whenever and whenever technique uh starts to you know go south on you, you certainly got to step in there, but uh I will tell you this and it only comes from experience if not research itself that whether it's an empirical notion or you know truly, you know, uh, uh science driven the harder you go, all right, the less you need to do in terms of total volume, okay? And uh, you can make tremendous gains because I think we've seen it. I know we've seen it in the people that we train. And uh, you can also cut down not only on total frequency days in terms of days per week that you train, but also the duration of the workout itself. So, now, now, if you don't believe in that and you think more is better, then God bless you. Go for it. If you've had great success at it, then keep it status quo. I'm not, I, and uh, believe me, I am not on some mission to change the training world. I'm not there. Okay, not going there. Right. Don't want to do it. Have no interest in it. Okay? Basically, I want to train our people and train them the best we can. But I am concerned about the safety of individuals out there that are training and under the auspices of someone who claims to be a strength and conditioning coach, that they truly know what they're doing. So, you know, hopefully, you know, it's all done. Uh, with the best interest of the athletes in mind or the trainees in mind if you're talking about personal training situations. One of my pet peeves with some of the, you know, the hit people, just some, they never talk about poundage progression. You know, they spend all their time talking about going to muscular failure but ignore talking about adding weight to the bar or the machine. So, uh, you know, because if you just go to failure forever with light weight, it's not really going to do much good. So, um, what, what is your system with your athletes? You know, like when do you determine or how do you add weight? Well, if we're going to do a true volitional fatigue set, okay, we have a rep range, all right? 
let's say that rep range is it could be eight to ten, it could be six to eight, okay? Um, it right. could be sometimes even higher than that. And when they hit when they hit the top end of the range, okay, we want them to add some weight. And it might be uh as much as the um uh it could be the five percent rule. Uh, but we, it, all, it all depends on what what um, what exercise it is, whether it's a multi joint movement or a single joint movement, and sometimes we just have to go by what we know the capabilities and abilities of the young person are, and we will dictate the increment. Okay, you started out when you first started out with this, you were able to get eight perfect reps. You're not at the point where you can get ten perfect reps with this. We'd like to go up in weight, so we're going to add this to it, and we're going to see where you are. So next time the kid comes up to that exercise, he gets seven reps. So we say, okay, you're right about where we want you. We'll stay there right now. We'll kind of stay there right now and see where you go with it. Uh, but we're still going to go up to 10 with it and see if you can add weight to it. But you're right, Bob. You know, you got, there's got to be, there's gotta be you know, over time, you know, some kind of system. Now, some people use a target rule. They just go by a flat-out target, Okay. Um, mm-hmm. meaning this, okay, the target's eight or the target's six or the target's five, whatever it is. You hit that target, okay, um, as soon as you hit that target, okay, you're going to go up a little bit in weight. All right, so, um, and you're going to stay, and you're going to stay with that weight until you can get the next wrap up, which is nine, and then they'll add a little bit of weight and, and very little weight to it and then see where they go with that. Can they still get eight? But I'm more of a range guy than a, than a than a target guy with that. So, I mean, that's how we would do that. Then, then other things are quite frankly based on uh, pyramids. Uh, like if we're going to do multiple set pyramids, you know, and th- mm-hmm. and that would be more of a target based thing. Like if it's a ten eight six, eight six four, if you can hit the target on each one, uh, you know, we'll probably let you and probably on the first set only on the first set only, add weight to that because that will obviously affect your set of six and your set of four. You don't need to add uh, weight to those, okay? So can you still nail nail eight, still nail six, and still nail four on a pyramid deal? And or it could be a three-set scheme, work set scheme of just six reps, a a three uh, set of eight, or three set of five, and we'll mix that up. Because uh, I am right. truly undulating in my approach. I do not like doing the same same reps, same sets for any long period of time. And sometimes a long period of time to me is like two weeks, and I'm ready, I'm ready to move on. Because I just think you need that change up. And uh, so, uh, so the true linear periodization methods I'm not totally plugged into. I like to undulate. And another one that I've been doing in terms of uh, just in terms of, of just developing some good hypertrophy and just overall strength capabilities is either what we call some people call it time under tension, time under load, either one you want to do. Uh, it is another way to uh, introduce either you know again using that term high intensity training or hard training. Um, they pick a load that they can do for anywhere from 30 seconds or 45 seconds. Continual reps, or even up to a minute, and sometimes it takes a while to determine these loads. So you have a 30-second protocol, you have a 45-second protocol, and you have a one-minute protocol. And we never go over one minute. That would be our, our just top time for going time under load. And it will be continuous reps. 
done on cadence. Now, this is one thing that we will do on cadence, as well as some of the single-set volitional fatigue stuff that we do, where we want, you know, whatever you got, and we, what we tell the kids is this, whatever it takes to raise the weight. In the initial stages, get a little bit of control on it to where it might take a second or two to raise it. Do the one-second pause uh, system at that point. Okay, so get a true one-second pause to, uh, you know, have a little bit of a transition period there. And then we, we normally call for a three-second or so uh, uh, eccentric or negative phase. And you will continue in this fashion for the full 30 seconds or 45 seconds or 60-second protocol. Okay, and obviously the idea is to hit, you know, volitional fatigue within the last couple reps uh, in each one of those protocols. So we do have those as well. You know, both free weight and machine based. Uh, but then again, being very careful with, with the situations like we don't do that in squat and some other movements, um, like overhead presses, for instance, where they could get in a situation. Uh, you know, so we'll make sure the situations are safe and they have some some method of spotting and or catching to where they don't get in a bad uh, bad predicament. But those are other ways that we uh, introduce that type of training as well. Yeah, I, I do it pretty much the same way. I always tell people I believe in progression by performance. I've heard a few of your great talks when you mentioned what an honor it is to be called a coach. Please tell us what it takes to be a good coach. Oh, you know, and, and again, it's um, these are all my personal perspectives, Bob, and um, I don't know if there's a greater title in the world. Now, now you might say, uh, well, we're not, we're not curing cancer, we're not saving lives, and oh, I, I agree with that. And uh, there are certainly um, professions out there that do that, and th- those are the ones. And you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just telling you this though, from, from my standpoint, and having been a coach for 40 plus years, I don't know that that there's a better profession and more impactful profession to be in, as far as mentoring, motivating and developing leadership, and developing young men and women. So let's go, out, let's go outside the, the training aspects, if you can, for just, just briefly here. I don't know if there's another profession where you can have as profound an impact on people, be they young people, in, in my case, or the people, let, let's say all, all of you out there that uh, you know, have uh, you know, training centers, you, work, you have a clientele of, of both adults and young people, and range from, you know, anywhere from, you know, the teens to the 80s, okay, and anywhere in between. I mean, it's uh, you can have a, a tremendous impact on those people, but especially with the young ones, especially with, with the, uh, the adolescents and young adults, you can have a tremendous impact on their lives. And I'm just telling you, and I'll give you a little, a little quick story. I just had a conversation with a young man that I had at Toledo. 25 years ago, and since he, since I'd lost all contact with him, he just happens to give me a call out of the clear blue uh, right after the uh, Big Ten Championship game to congratulate us on that. And so, and really, the name didn't come. It's been a long time since I had him. And when he when he told me his name, it all came back to me. And quite frankly, I remember him as being quite a knucklehead when he was down there. I mean, he wasn't a guy that did things right. And he needed some mentoring and coaching and discipline and whatnot. And really, when he left, I thought, man, I did, I did a terrible job with him because he did not turn out to be a man worth following, which, you know, I am so, so, you know, very uh, uh, geared towards trying to do. 
And yet here's this guy calls me 25 years later. Now, remember, I've had no contact with him since then. And he's telling me about his family. He's telling me about his current life. And he's telling me about the impact that I had on his life. And, and after we talked for about 15 or 20 minutes, listen to this now, he left me with this. And that goes back to the saving lives thing. He says, Coach, before I let you go, I've got to get back to work here real quick. But he said, I want you to know that you saved my life. Now, I thought he's just using that as a figure of speech, right? You know, just saying that maybe I said something that maybe helped him out. And so I proceeded to say, well, you know, I appreciate that. And uh, I'm, I hope that I was able – and he cut me right off. He goes, no, you literally saved my life. And I've got to go, Coach. I'm going to leave you with that. I love you. And he hung up. Now, I'm kind of sitting there holding the phone in my hand going, what in the world did he mean by that? You literally saved my life. So don't ever think, all of you listening out there, you coaches out there, or you're working with young people in, in any manner, I don't care what it is, or you're, you have this opportunity because you're with them so much because you're their trainer. You are the person that works with them in a physical sense. Never lose sight of, what, of the impact that you can have on them in terms of growing up and becoming men and women worth following, people that are going to go out there in the world and make an impact on others. You have an unbelievable opportunity to impact them. Don't take that lightly. As a matter of fact, I think it's the most important thing you do. So you make sure you're doing that on a daily basis and always give them a message. We never end a training session without one, either myself or one of my staff giving them what we call the championship thought at the end of a session. A championship thought is a message you give them on life. It could be a quote. It could be a story from your personal life or, or a friend's life or whatever that has a motivational, inspirational message to it. You know, I'm always talking about, you know, Vince Lombardi. And in doing this, you develop their trust. Because Vince Lombardi once said, you better capture the heart first. Then you can capture the mind. So you want these people to trust you, to believe in you, to really have faith in you. You better capture their heart first, okay? Then you can capture the mind and do all the teaching and coaching that you want to do. If they don't trust you, I promise you, they're not listening to you, and they're not really doing what you want them to do in the manner you want them to do it with, okay? And then I think also as coaches we have to do this, and then if we have time I'll talk about some more things, Bob, but uh, I'm a great believer in the Roger Staubach quote. Now, when I say Roger Staubach to some of these young kids, they say, oh, yeah, doesn't he have a reality show on, on the cable network or something? No, <laughs> Roger, I got to tell him who Roger was, you know, and his great career at the Naval Academy, Cowboys, and Hall of Fame career. But uh, it was this, okay, there are no traffic jams along the extra mile. There are no traffic jams along the extra mile. Most, of, most people now, and you know this, Bob, are living in average city USA. They're in the comfort zone. Right. They take shortcuts. They, you know, they don't want to work hard. They're lazy, whatever the case may be. They just want to chill out. Don't bother me. Don't, I won't bother you. Don't ruffle my feathers. Don't rattle my cage. Okay, that's fine. If you want to live in average city USA, then be happy with the results because there ain't going to be very many good ones now. There's no success there. When you come to the city limits of average city USA and you look beyond you and you see a big sign that says, Welcome to the Extra Mile, get ready for hard work. 
get ready for calloused hands, bloody knuckles, and a fire in your heart. Because that's what you're going to need to go on that tra- on that extra mile. And I urge our kids to do this every single day. Don't just pass through the extra mile, because that's where success is. Build your house there. Build your house on the extra mile. Live on the extra mile. With all its adversity, embrace it. You'll grow stronger. The strength comes from the journey that you're on, and you can't help but experience success. And um, I'll just leave you with that. And that's what coaches should mean to me. It's about mentoring, motivating, developing young men and women worth following, and those are the kind of things you've got to do on a daily basis to get that done. Don't ever think that it's just training. Well, I'm a great trainer, and my kids are strong and powerful and explosive and fast and quick, and, and then, you know, patting yourself on the back and walking away from the situation. No, 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 no. You're, you're missing 90% of it as far as I'm concerned. You better focus on that other aspect of it. It's hard to follow what you just said. That was just great. This well, I appreciate part out here. it, Bob. Well, Ken, that's a wrap. You're a wealth of great information, and it was a pleasure to speak with you again. Thank you so much for your time. Go green, and thank you for being on the show. Well, Bob, make sure you put this in, Bob, because I want to close with this following statement. It goes out to you and all your listeners, so please include, find a way to include this as the closing, would you please? Here it is. Stay strong. Here it is. I'm going to give it to you right now. Stay strong. Stay in the fight and keep making a positive impact on all those that you touch. God bless you. Thanks a lot, Ken. Okay, Bob. Thank you, buddy. Don't be a flamingo. You have to do your squats. Don't be a flamingo. Real lifters work their legs. That's going to do it for this edition of Natural Strength Night on MindForceRadio.com. Please bookmark that website, MindForceRadio.com. Bob is always looking for new writers for NaturalStrength.com who are old school, hardcore, write with passion, and have a strong anti-steroid stance. He also wants your training questions so they can be answered on the show. Please send your articles and training questions to Bob at mindforceradio at earthlink.net. Thanks for listening. See you next time.